Thank you to the team for leading us in worship today. Today, we are continuing our two-part series on courage. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to check it out. As with many things in God's kingdom, the concept of courage is countercultural. Courage revealed to us throughout the Bible is not about finding resolve within oneself to overcome fear or to persevere through a difficult time. Rather, as believers, we find courage, moments when we, when we can act boldly and with conviction because of God's provision, his promises, and our faith in him. God has made each of us to be brave and live a courageous life. The Christian life is a life of courage. Last week, Sophia and Max, two of our Encounter Youth Summer interns, reminded us that God gives us the courage to lead and to stand firm. In all of these moments of bravery and courage, God gets the glory. Like Moses, God can equip us to lead, even if we feel ill-equipped, not talented enough, or unqualified. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God is with us when we choose to be obedient, and we choose to take a stand for our relationship with him. Today, Jasmine, another Encounter Youth Summer intern, and I will continue to examine the life of two more biblical characters and what their brave moments can teach us as we continue to pursue God and become more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for choosing to create us and giving us purpose. We are all faced with moments where we must choose to act, to take steps in our lives that require us to have courage. Each of those moments look different for each of us in our life's journey, and we pray that we will not depend on ourselves, but on you to find the courage to face the challenges that are set before us. Holy Spirit, help us to lean into what you want to reveal to us today as we explore the story of Esther and young David. Hi everyone, good to see you this morning and I'm so thankful that you're here listening to this message. Now, I have a question for you. You ready for this? And you can answer this in your head or out loud, however you want, but here's the question. What is something that would be extremely difficult for you to give up? Right now, right this second. I'll give you some time to think about it. It can be a friendship, your family, money, a LeBron James toy, your time. The list of possibilities is endless. Got in your mind? Locked and loaded. Three, two, one. Okay, we'll come back to that. So today we're talking about courage, right? And what else says courage like running for student council? Am I right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe ask your niece or your nephew or any teenage kid in your household. My decision to put myself out there at school was pretty scary, even if the majority of it was online. Because I had to campaign and put my name out there. You know, it was out of my comfort zone. But there are things even past the election process that really scares me because if you didn't know this, signing up for student council means that you're signing up to be a part of a lot of big discussions about school events, clubs, fundraisers, spirit lifting initiatives, and more. And all these decisions affect other people, whether that be my classmates or my friends. And I'm a people pleaser, so I tend to overthink and get worried about what other people think of me and my choices. 
And so obviously this affects my decision-making, you know, to make sure that everyone is happy, that everyone approves of the choice that I make. And I'm sure some of you guys can relate, you know, my family and friends can testify to this because they've been witness to me making very small but important decisions, whether that be choosing my courses or just helping out with a few extra things here at church. But here's some food for thought. Being surrounded by so many different people, and let me break this down for you. For me, that's elementary school, secondary school. For you, that might be post-secondary, that may be your workplace, your family, your friends. It's nearly impossible, no, scratch that. It's impossible to make sure that every single person is happy. And that's an idea that it's really hard for me to grasp because my answer to the question I asked you in the beginning would be my reputation of those close to me and the approval of others. To the point where at times I found myself in the past and even sometimes now taking my opinions and my ideas from the, where, where other people stood, from the people around me. And whether that be with what courses I should take, what career I should pursue, and even in our podcast last summer for Encounter Youth Prayer Room Podcast, you know, it was hard for me to formulate my own ideas and take a stand on different topics or take an opposing point of view. But luckily, I was hosting with some two very lovely youth interns, Maxwell and Sophia, and guests who made it a judgment-free place to talk. But it isn't always going to be that simple. You know, I know that I'm going to run into situations where I disagree with others and where I will not make everyone happy and where I could be judged or treated differently for what I believe in, my values, my thoughts, my identity. But in Colossians 4 verse 1, Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. This verse reminds us of our identity that is found in Christ and not in earthly things and earthly idols like our reputation, our wealth, or even sometimes people. And this verse also says that our life is hidden with Christ in God. So any source of life, any source of happiness, of satisfaction, any ounce of joy or grace comes from him. And contrary to popular belief, our courage is not excluded from this list, which also comes from him and not from ourselves. Otherwise, for me, especially in high school, it's so easy to fear expressing myself myself when it's so scary and I fear that I might lose something close to me, something important to me. And when we are put on the stand to sacrifice for God, to sacrifice for others, we're too afraid to lose something. And again, this is just when it is our well-being on the line. But sometimes we have to sacrifice for the sake of others. And this is exactly what Esther had to do. Although in her situation, it was a bit more intense since it was her life on the line. Esther is an amazing woman of courage in the Bible and she shines light on standing up for ourselves and standing up for others in difficult situations with the help of God. 
And if you don't know the story of Esther, it's about King Xerxes, who was looking for a new queen and had sent out people to go find beautiful women throughout the 127 provinces. And amongst numerous women, Esther was chosen to be the new queen. She would be summoned to and from the king's palace. Esther had a cousin named Mordecai, who came with her to Susa when the commissioners brought her to the king. Mordecai strongly suggested that Esther should keep her nationality as a Jew hidden, and so she did so. Haman was a man that the king selected to have a seat of high honor. Everyone was to kneel down and respect him, but Mordecai refused to do so. Haman was so angry that he wanted not only to kill Mordecai, but all the Jews. Haman convinced the king to send out a decree stating that all the Jews in the reign of Xerxes would be killed for disobedience of the king's law. Mordecai told Esther about the order to kill all the Jews and how she should go to the king and plead for mercy on behalf of them. At first, Esther contemplated saying that she would be killed for approaching the king without being summoned. But then Mordecai reminds Esther of her identity, that she was God's chosen, that she was made to do this for, at this very moment, and now she was ready to go to the king despite having her life at risk. During and after the banquet that Esther had requested the king to attend along with Haman, she brought to light her concern for the fate of her people, the Jews, and how she could not bear to see the destruction of her people and her family. King Xerxes had said that she could write and send out any decree that would help the Jews in any way. This time, the edict stated that the Jews could assemble their people and protect themselves against anyone who wanted to harm them. Now that you know the basic outline of her story, we can examine how Esther acted courageously and where that carriage came from. In the situation where the decree, with the decree and Mordecai's concerns were brought to her attention, Esther chose to approach the king on behalf of Mordecai and the rest of the Jews, despite knowing she could very well be put to death for doing this. She was willing to put others' needs before her own wants and desires, which were pretty basic, if you ask me, to stay safe, to stay alive. And we see this when Esther says this in Esther 4, verse 11 to 14. And it says, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther was facing life and death but we face this battle and choice in many other ways. I asked you at the beginning of this sermon to tell me what was one thing that you would absolutely hate to give up. Still got it? Okay, well, what if I asked you to give that up right now, right this instant, in order to fight the good fight, whether that means standing up for your beliefs, correcting a wrong, advocating for someone, or even just causing tension? 
to do what you know and what God knows is right, despite any sacrifices you may need to make for being courageous. And for me, that means listening to students' criticism of me or how the school events work or any concerns that means that me or anyone else has to address even if I'm scared of how it reflects on me. Let me touch on three things that Mordecai tells Esther when she fears approaching the king. One, that she was not safe just because her nationality was hidden. Two, that those around her would be hurt, her family, her people. And three, that she has been put right where she needed to be, in a position that King Xerxes would do a favor for and have mercy on. Also notice how Esther is in a position of comfort. Her nationality and identity as a Jew was not revealed to the public. Considering that, there was not much urgency to act on the decree or risk her own life to stop it from happening. Just as Esther's story highlights, we also need to recognize the opportunities that we have to sacrifice for the sake of others. And of course, this is scary. And that is why we need courage. And courage not necessarily to overcome a fear, but to lead through a fear, knowing that God has put you right where you need to be. And if you need any affirmation of that, just look at where he's brought you so far. Even Esther was scared, but she acted bravely by approaching the king. And I haven't had the chance to explicitly do this in student council yet, but believe me, when the opportunity arises, I'll be prepared. However, even something like stating my faith publicly, saying that I was a part of the Christian fellowship at my school took courage. You know, despite the backlash that could have sparked because of the negative connotations that are sometimes linked to being a Christian, being judgmental, being hateful, being unreasonable, as I have mentioned before, the thing that I would not want to give up most is my reputation amongst those who are close to me. You know, I didn't want my friends, I didn't want my, the people at student council to paint me as someone like that, but yet I still shared my faith with them. And why, why did I do this? I trust that God is by my side, that even if I fall, God will be there for me. Through it all, we put God first because he loved us and saved us first. Even... Esther didn't really have all this to fall back on, but instead she prayed and fasted to put her trust in God for three days before approaching the king with her requests. And for both of us, it worked out. Through Esther's sacrifice, Mordecai's decree was sent out and the Jewish people were able to fight back against all of their enemies. And God brought a time of great victory for the Jewish people. And for me, by putting my image on the line, I'm able to be open about my faith and apply it to the foundation of how I make decisions for the student council in the future and share God's love through there. And so a verse I want to leave you guys with is from Mark 10, verse 29 to 30. And it reads, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. 
So some things I really want you to take away from this is that no matter if you had to sacrifice your relationship with your family, your job, your money, your reputation, anything for God and the gospel, God promises that he'll be with you as you continue to remain faithful. And along with persecutions, Jesus promises here that you will not fail to receive the blessings that he's sending your way when the time is right. And just a few more things that I want you to keep in mind for the week. Uh, three points. One, be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. Be ready to sacrifice that thing that you thought of at the beginning. Two, take courage to trust that God is in control and has it all planned out, even when you can't see his plan unraveling right in front of you. And three, Luglow, love God and love others by putting others before yourself. And to close off, I know I've been asking a lot of questions for you, but there's one more I want you to keep at the end of this is, what is God calling you to do? You to sacrifice, you to fast from. How is God calling you to be courageous in your life? That's the end. So like Jasmine, I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever felt a nudging, a prompting, an inner small voice, or a calling telling you to do something? Maybe it's been something small that seems of little consequence, such as taking a pause and unplugging from work for an hour, or stopping to ask how someone really is doing. Or maybe it's something big, like pressing reset on your career or your post-secondary pathway. Throughout the Bible, we read about God and Jesus calling people to do all sorts of things. In the New Testament, Jesus calls 12 men to drop everything and follow him. And in the Old Testament, we can read about young David's call to be the second king of Israel. In all the situations we have discussed both last Sunday and today, Moses, Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the reality is no one knew how things were going to end for them. They had to take a step forward, knowing and trusting who they had encountered and chosen to follow. Before we get into young David's story specifically, I think it's helpful to understand the society in which he was born into and called to lead. Throughout their history, the king of Israel was God, and God ruled through judges and prophets. However, the people of Israel had grown unhappy with the system. Most likely, they were looking at the other societies and desiring the same kind of government structure. The people wanted to shift from being led by these judges and prophets to being ruled by a king. God was not happy with this because essentially they were rejecting him as king, a perfect king, and opting instead for a human king, someone who might take things into their own hands and not look out for the best interest of his people. God eventually gave the Israelites what they asked for and chose Saul as Israel's first king. After being anointed by Samuel, Saul was transformed into a new person because God's spirit was upon him. Now, not only was there internal conflict, but there was external conflict as well. Israel had many enemies, including the Philistines, but God continued to be with the Israelites. In the time of Samuel, Israel was victorious over the Philistines, but once Saul became king, the Philistines re-exerted their power. 
And it was during one of these battles, Saul became very afraid and disobeyed God, the king of kings. God found Saul to be disloyal and not obedient. As a consequence of Saul rejecting God's commands, God rejected Saul as king and told Saul that his dynasty would end with him. And this is the context in which David enters the scene. In Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, we read that God chose a new ruler, a man after his own heart, David. David was the youngest son of Jesse, probably about 10 to 12 years of age at the time, from Bethlehem, small little village. And because he was the youngest, he was put to work watching over the family sheep. And he watched them carefully. He knew them and didn't allow them to stray. He found them water to drink and good pastures to eat from. He was protective and made sure none of them wandered or were taken. As directed by God, Samuel went to Bethlehem and anointed David. In 1 Samuel 6, 16, verse 13, we read, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. In reading this passage, it's not certain that David or his brothers and father even knew what this anointing meant and why David was singled out. But no one questioned Samuel. He came and he went, and David continued to shepherd the sheep. During his growing up years, there were many times that David needed to be brave and courageous. Some of them were big moments that put him on the map, and others were small, but they helped to build his faith his intimacy with God, and helped him prepare for the even bigger moments. David's first brave moment was accepting his anointing, whether he knew what that meant, becoming Israel's second king or not, but still living in the mundane. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are told that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that God dwells within us. No matter what age you were when you first decided to follow Jesus, each of us must continue to renew that commitment daily. It's a commitment we choose where we choose to serve God instead of ourselves and to do, act, talk, and live differently than the world around us. It might not feel like a brave moment when we first make the decision or even as we continue to make it, but is an act of courage because we are not always sure what it means for us individually. We are not always sure what God will ask us to do. For some of us, like David, we might have a God encounter where we can sense that he is prompting us to do something or changing the path that our life will take, but we are not sure of the timing of it all. Sometimes there is a period of waiting a time in between the call and the time to step into the call. During this time, we need to be like David and grow and wait. While David probably did feel that his anointing was a call from God to do some really special work, it didn't interfere with the work that was right in front of him. As a boy, he continued to care for his sheep. He became an expert in wielding his sling to protect them, and he developed his skills as a musician, 
playing the harp and writing songs. David's story reminds us that brave moments, courageous moments, don't need to be life-altering, but can be found in the day-to-day grind where you commit yourself to learning and growing in the things that God has placed before you, trusting that God is developing you and wants you to use those things for his kingdom purposes. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 14, David wrote, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In waiting for God's call to action, God does not want us to sit around and do nothing, but he wants us to continue to develop our relationship with him and develop our skills that he has given us. I was one of those fortunate high school students that knew exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. I wanted to be and felt led to be a teacher. However, my journey to teaching was not direct. During my first year of university, I was one of about 40 people that helped to start the Olive Branch. It wasn't necessarily easy, but it was exciting, and it was great to be part of something new and to see what God was going to do. So as I sat there in my university classes, even though I knew teaching was the ultimate goal, I was having a hard time sitting and learning when there was so much great work to be done. My friends were actually surprised that I enrolled in a second year of university, and it was pretty difficult to actually make it through. So I decided it was time to stop school and volunteer for the church as much as I could while working. Becoming a teacher was still the goal, but during those volunteer years, there was a sense of waiting. When would be the right time to go back? One Sunday morning, as I was leading the grade five, six class, I remember talking about wanting to become a school teacher and how it was still a little difficult that I hadn't finished the goal. I was kind of waiting for God to call me back into that pathway. But one of those students said, as only kids can do, but Miss Kelly, you are teaching. And they were right. God used that time to help me develop the skills I needed to be better prepared to enter my future occupation. God used that child to remind me that while there was a larger goal, I needed to fully embrace what was right in front of me. If God has placed a calling on your life, a new direction, but you are in a season of waiting, how could you choose to bravely wait? How could you bravely grow and develop your skills so you are ready for the time when you are told to act? A second brave moment during David's young life was when he was required to use his skills that he had developed to serve King Saul. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, we read that because the spirit of the Lord was no longer with Saul, Saul was filled with desperation and fear. Saul's servants suggested that he should hire a musician to ease his spirit. So remember that during his time as a shepherd, during the day-to-day grind, David developed into a musician, a talented harp player. And during this time, news of his abilities had started to spread past the geographic boundaries of Bethlehem. One of Saul's servants described David as a talented harp player, 
Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He was also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. What skill has God given you that he is asking you to use in service of others, even if it's just for a season? David was just a shepherd boy with a hobby in Bethlehem who was called to play before the king. He was called up. I would imagine David not only felt out of place, but not qualified. But the reality, as I've heard many leaders say before, is God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Maybe your brave moment is entering into a space and telling yourself, reminding yourself that God has put you there. You belong there. God is going to help you to be successful in that space. God wants to use your skills that you have developed and your heart to serve. A third brave moment, and the final that we'll talk about for David's young life, is his standoff with Goliath. We aren't given any specific details about the time between David being Saul's personal musician to when a Goliath arrives on the scene, but perhaps at some point Saul felt satisfied that he felt better and he sent David back to his father to help tend the sheep. At this point, David is probably about 15 to 17, so still a teenager, and the Philistines and Israelites are in a face-off again. However, this time, the Philistines had the most intimidating warrior, Goliath. While Goliath's height is debated, we know that he was tall, strong, and intimidating. For 40 days, Goliath taunted the Israelite army, saying, why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Every morning, Goliath stepped forward, and the men of God shrank back. David's three oldest brothers had joined Saul's army at this time and were camped out opposite of the Philistines, no more than 13 kilometers from Bethlehem. Although David was busy watching over the sheep, Jesse used his son David as a messenger and an errand boy. Jesse would send food to his oldest sons, and David was expected to come back with a report and tell him how things were going. While checking in on his brothers one day, David heard Goliath's taunt and saw the reaction of the Israelite soldiers. David couldn't stand how Goliath was dismissing God and defying him and how the Israelite army was not doing anything about it. So David decided he was going to take action. Word got to Saul that David, a young man, was willing to take on Goliath, so he wanted an introduction. Saul, who might have forgotten about David at this point or probably didn't recognize him, along with others, doubted David. But David remembered how God had helped prepare him for a moment just like this. This wasn't David's first time standing up against something bigger than himself, something that was to be feared. As a good shepherd living in the day-to-day grind, David made sure no sheep were lost And 
Um, he even pursued the lion and the bear to retrieve what he had been entrusted with. The lion was a brave moment. The bear was a brave moment. And now in his conviction and because of his relationship with God, David could not stand down. He had to enter into the next brave moment. It was in God's strength he was willing to take Goliath on, not his own. It also wasn't David's first time using a sling. He chose a tool that he had practiced with over and over and over. David also took comfort in the fact that God was with him. Remember the anointing, the calling? In 1 Samuel 17, 37, we read that David said to Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David had seen God rescue him before, and he knew he would do it again. David's true courage didn't come from himself, but God, who he aligned himself with, the God who anointed him, the God who called him, the God who was with him. David held fast to his faith that God would show up. This faith is heard again as David responds to Goliath. To Goliath, he said, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. Hopefully, we will never be in a situation like David's, but all of us will probably have giants that we need to face. This moment in David's life called for courage. It called for David to use his skills but most importantly, to draw his courage from his faith and trust in God. Saul and his army were terrified because they lacked the faith to see God as bigger than Goliath. David chose to see God as bigger and stronger than Goliath. What opportunity or giant are you facing today? What action is being pressed on your heart to take? What tools, people, past experiences has God given you to prepare you for this time? What brave moments had to, have you had to face that has prepared you for what you are dealing with right now? Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. As you envision taking your next brave step, I encourage you to be like David. Choose to see God as bigger and stronger than the hurdle, challenge, or your doubts. Know that God is with you and ready to demonstrate his power and faithfulness. Now we know the end of the story. Goliath was angry that a boy, a shepherd, was accepting the challenge, and he was unwise to think that David came on his own. He forgot about the God that the Israelites served. David took a stand. He used his well-practiced skill of using a sling and his faith in God to bring Goliath down. God saved his people that day and used David's training and skill to win a great victory for the Israelites. David had been faithful in the mundane and was ready to take his next brave step when the opportunity presented itself. David was the hero. 
Instead of being sent back to the fields this time, Saul had him stay as a soldier. Still just a young man, he was given the opportunity to command and lead men of war. David was probably still unsure of his journey, but we know that there were many difficult times ahead for David as he tried to remain faithful to God and loyal to King Saul a king who would grow so jealous of David that he would spend many days trying to hunt him down and kill him. But David held to his faith during those times, and eventually Samuel's promise was fulfilled, and David was made king over all of Israel. His journey as king was one of ups and downs, moments of forgetting God and then God leading David back to himself. However, as a leader, David cared for his people, just as he cared for the sheep when he was a boy, and even more so. We are still living out our stories, and within our stories as Christ followers, we are called to live with a purpose and be courageous. Our stories might not be written into the history books like Moses, Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or David, but we are all courageous, taking brave steps of faith along the way. As author Annie Down says, our courage comes from the memory of what God has already done and accomplished in our life and applying it to what you are facing now. Whatever you are facing right now, God has already done something in your life to help you prepare for that and he works everything together for our good. Our courage to face anything that is intimidating or bigger than we are needs to come not from our self-confidence, but our confidence in God's powerful promises. In the song titled Giants Fall, the lyrics read, Don't you be afraid of giants in your way. With God, you know that anything's possible. So step into the fight. He's right there by your side. The stones inside your hand might be small, but watch the giants fall. We could really live like this, can't you imagine it? So bold, so brave, with childlike faith. Miracles could happen, mountains would start moving. So whatever you face, don't you be afraid of giants in your way. As you worship with the team during this next song, may you be reminded that God is there with you, giving you strength, and may he remind you of the next brave, courageous step that you need to take. 